touch your faces. I want to kiss all your cheeks and hug all of you. I've missed so many of your faces. Um, has God been doing anything in your lives the last few weeks? Anything good been going on? Yeah, anything good been going on? Not for, for like a few of you, that's it. Uh, has God been doing anything in your life the last few weeks at all? Good, you got to hear from my good friend Hassani, and you got to hear from uh, my friend Dave Carr. Heard he crushed it. Not surprised by that. And I, I even missed the week that Miles did his little uh, relationship sex talk. I missed that. Um, I don't know. Should I go back and listen to that? Is it worth, is it worth the listen? Okay. Um, we've been in this series. Oh, by the way, if you're new, it's, I'm happy to meet you. My name's Heather. Um, good to see your face as well. And I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Central Campus. Yes. And I'm a woman. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I have a problem. I know. No, I know. I, you put it exactly where I told you. And I just, I have, is that right? It's, it's because it's not like symmetrical with the island. It's making me nuts. It's fine. It's really, it's really the architect's fault. Okay. Um, all right. So I don't even remember what I was saying. Let's get started. Okay. Um, we've been in a series, Long Story Short, talking about different stories in the Bible. Maybe some of them you've heard about. You know, they're kind of famous characters, if you will, famous people. And kind of looking at the behind-the-scenes story that's contained um, and, and, and maybe go a little bit deeper than what initially you see. So if we're talking about Noah, there's probably more to it than what was in the movie, right? Like, if we're, it, those kinds of things that we're talking about, Jonah, I'm having like, what the heck? I'm working on it, Gaddon. I'm just going to try to fix it now so it doesn't annoy me the rest of the time. It's because men have been wearing this. They got big old ears. <laughs> That's the problem. Okay. Um, I would like to talk about someone today that actually Hassani already talked about. He talked about the life of David, but I want to talk about David too. Because David is one of my favorite people in Scripture. And I want to talk about a story that's a little bit of a lesser known story. Not one that so many people know about, because we either know about his really big sins, right? Or we know about his really big victories. <clears throat> but there's a little bit of the in-between of David that I want to talk about. David is known, and for those of you who um, have ever read about David or studied him, he's known as a man after God's own heart, right? A man after God's own heart. <clears throat> I find that extraordinary. Because here's some facts about David. There are 66 chapters of the Bible devoted to him. 66 chapters of the Bible devoted to this one person. He is mentioned 600 times in the Old Testament, 60 times in the New Testament. In the New Testament, he's been dead a long time. They're still talking about him. He's literally the last person named in the Bible. And to this day... The star of David flies over the country of Israel. He's a legendary leader, he's a warrior, and he's a war strategist. He took Israel to extraordinary heights of prosperity. He was known to be strong and tall and good-looking and stand out in a crowd full of charisma. Also, he was an adulterer, he was a murderer. One would argue he was a terrible father. 
One of his sons tried to kill him. Another son raped his sister. And David just said, hey, sweetie, keep it quiet. So one could argue this guy isn't really all that you think that he is, yet he's still called a man after God's own heart. In fact, Jesus actually refers to himself as the son of David from the house and lineage of David, as it reads in Luke chapter 2. He was a giant killer, slaying Goliath at just a very young age, and he was a king. Honestly, a lot of us have that story, meaning we go from sin to surrender to Jesus, right? To sin to surrender to Jesus. And then we sin again, and then we surrender to Jesus, right? We get that story. So we understand a man that is, whose life is full and fraught with all kinds of bad, and then surrenders his life to God, and God uses him in in mighty, mighty ways. We get that, but so what about him is so different? What makes him the one that Jesus most wants to identify with? What makes him different? I went after that question a few years ago. I wanted to know because I wanted to have a heart after God's, right? I mean, I... I wanted to have that thing. And maybe it's because I wanted to go, hey, Lord, you know, in spite of all my flaws and my junk and my sin, I still want to know that I can be a woman after your own heart. I still want to know that you identify with me. I still want to know that you call me your child in spite of all of this. I still want to know that I can do great things and I can slay giants and I can lead kingdoms and I can do all of these things in spite of all of my weaknesses. So I feel like I got to get to the source of what it means to have a heart after God. So today, we are going to unpack what I think the answer to that is. What made David different? What made David someone that was talked about throughout the entire story of the Bible in whom Jesus grabbed a hold of his name and took to himself? Here's the answer. And it's going to sound, I mean, I know. I set it up like that, and it sounds like I'm going to give you this huge, profound answer. And honestly, I'm going to give you one word, and it might even sound super churchy. And it might even sound like, oh, really? Thanks, Heather. That's great. That's fantastic. Here's what the secret is, though, to David's heart. Worship. Worship. Now, some of you are thinking, crap. She's going to tell us we have to sing. And that if I want a heart after David, I have to sing, participate in worship. And that's true. But that's not the entirety of the message. I want to get into the why. So let me give you a statement that is going to be our foundational statement for tonight. It's this. Worship tethers the heart of the warrior. Worship tethers the heart of the warrior. Is this locked? I love you guys so much. Okay. I have an issue. I move things a lot. That's my only problem. Okay. I'm going to age myself, and I don't know, maybe you guys had this on the playground when you were little. Maybe they just had it when I was little, and then they did away with it. I don't know if they still had it when you were little. Did y'all have tetherball? Yes! Yes. (laughs) Wow. Well, we should get some, apparently. Um, Yes, so you know tetherball. So there's this long pole, it's on a stand, and then there's like a rope, right? And then like a little, almost like a volleyball, right? Sort of, does that look right? 
You're laughing at my drawings. Is that fine? Gosh. Okay. Um, tetherball. When, we, when I was little, we loved to play it. And, you know, you stand on either side and you, you know, you, one of you hits it one way, the other one hits it the other way. The goal is you want to wrap it all the way around the pole without the person hitting it back to you. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Is it, did I draw a dirty drawing and it just looks funny? Okay. Um, that's what I got to know. Uh, so this game of tetherball and you're hitting it back and forth. And we loved it because you didn't really have to chase the ball, right? You guys can't even take it, can you? Now that I said dirty drawing, everybody's looking at it. Okay, can we focus now? All right, you ever seen Beavis and Butthead? Okay. Um, okay, the reason we all love to have the ball, you didn't have to chase after the ball, right? It just stayed right there. Anybody ever get hit in the face with the ball? Anybody, were you the ones that tried to hit the other person in the face? Yes, you were those people, I know. Um, I loved tetherball, and I liked it better than volleyball. And the word, I want to give you the definition of the word tether, because I give you the statement, worship tethers the heart of the warrior, but I want to give you a definition of the word tether. Tethered means the utmost length to which one can go. That means... A tether means you can't go beyond the length of the tether. It's, it means the limit of one's own ability or resources. You are tethered to the limit of your ability. It means to connect to something fixed. So in other words, the ball can't get lost, can't wander off, and it keeps connected to something that is secure. So... If worship tethers the heart of the warrior, what that means is that worship keeps you from getting lost. Worship limits your ability to wander. And worship connects you to the one who never changes. Worship tethers the heart of the, of the warrior. So what is worship? I first want to tell you what worship is not. And again, I think we all, either you're coming into this space and you don't have a church background or you're coming in and you do have a church background and we all have very different experiences with worship, right? Some of us come from church backgrounds, so it's very traditional and you just stand and you just open the hymnal and sing verses one and three and that kind of a thing. And some of you come from an extremely expressive form of worship, and that's how you grew up. We all come from various forms. Some of you, 12 stone is all you've known, and this is all you've ever experienced in worship, but I want to tell you what it's not. Worship is not a style of, of music. Yes? It is not. So you can't, you know, people come in and think, well, I can worship to that style, or I can't worship to this style, and I have to tell you, it, it, it just isn't. Worship itself is not a style of music. Worship is not a performance. It's not something that we're supposed to sit back and just spectate in, that we're just supposed to watch and observe and then applaud because they've done such a nice job. Worship is not an emotional buzz. It's interesting to me sometimes when people, you know, enter a time of worship and then if they feel something emotional, that suddenly means, well, the Holy Spirit must have been there. And if they don't feel an emotional buzz, well, then the Holy Spirit was not present. Neither are necessarily true. Or both could be true. But it's not this emotional buzz. 
Worship is also not optional for Christians. It's not optional. It's not something that we're supposed to go, oh, you know what? Eh, I don't want to do it. I don't want, I don't want to do that. So then if, those, if that's what it's not, let me tell you what it is, okay? It's four things. We're going to unpack four things that worship is, and we're going to do it through the life of David. The first thing worship is, is delight. Delight. I want to take you to a passage in the book of 2 Samuel. In fact, if you want to read about the life of David, go into uh, 2 Samuel. And before we start the passage, let me give you some context. The nation of Israel wants to bring what is called the Ark of the Covenant back to where they live in the city of David. Because the Ark of the Covenant was this big golden, really like box, chest, that symbolized the presence of God. It's before Jesus came, it's before the Holy Spirit came, and wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, that's where God was, quite literally. So it was prized, it was kept sacred, it was kept in the temple in the Holy of Holies, and David wanted to bring it back to the city of David, and so he went and got it. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12, we start in, and it says this. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great what? Celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone how many steps? Six steps. David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David what before the Lord? Danced before the Lord with what? All his might. He's a mighty man. He's a warrior and a king, and he danced with all his might. I think this is proof that when I say, if you're not sweating after worship, you're not doing it right. I feel like, like dance with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. They did this every six steps as they brought the presence of God back into the city. Every, can you imagine the journey? Taking six steps and throwing a party. Taking six steps and throwing a party. I mean, even the partiers and the extroverts, by the time you get to the third and fourth one, you're like, let's just get home, David, right? And they were worshiping and they were celebrating with all of their might because the very presence of God was with them again. God is with us and we are going to celebrate and we are going to party. Okay, so then let's go to verse 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for him. Michael was a wife of David's that had been given to him by Saul. So his wife sees him returning home with the Ark of the Covenant, dancing with all of his might and leaping before the Lord. And it says she's filled with contempt. She looks out and she's thinking, thinking, what is he doing? What is, what is he doing? He's the king. 
He's the king. Where are his robes? What is he doing? All this, this is humiliating. This is not what we do. My husband tells the story. Many of you have met Jeff. And he always likes to tell the story of worship. And he was a worship leader for years. And he would always love to tell the story of the first time he ever raised his hands in church. He grew up in a church that was very traditional. Like, very. And Jeff is very expressive. For those of you that have met him. And he was young. He was, you know, middle school age. And he's in this worship service on a Sunday with his family in this church. You know, the kind that have like the red carpet, right? <laughs> you know, everything's like wooden. It's the pews. You know, you know the type. I'm not even going to say. Anyway, you know the type. And it's not bad. Let me reiterate. It's not bad. Okay. So they're in, he's with his family. And he had this urge to raise his hands during the worship. So he like does, you know, this, right? Does this. And his mom like reaches over and she like hits his hand down. And she goes, we don't do that. We don't do that. Now, his mom is a believer and loves the Lord. Absolutely. Still does. I mean, he's walked with the Lord many, many years. But that was so different and foreign to anything that they'd ever done and experienced. She just didn't know what to do, and she didn't want anybody to be looking, and so she was like, just stop it. Stop it. So he put his hands down. And then he tells the story of when he was at a passion conference. At, this, was, this was like a long time ago when it was like the first one, and it was outside. It was, anyway, okay. They're much better now. But he was talks about, he was at this passion conference, and he had, up to that point, he'd not ever raised his hands. And he's remembering this moment when he was young. And all of a sudden, he's like, I want to raise my hands. I'm in college. I can do what I want, right? <laughs> my mama's not here to slap my hand down. So he, like, he starts sitting there, and he just kind of, like, went like this, like this, like this. And then he was like, ah! you know, like, he just shoots his hands up. And then, like, from that moment forward, that's just, like they've never come down. Like, like when he worships, he just fully worships with all abandon. But I just sort of imagine Michael, like Jeff's mom, right? Like she looks out at David and she's like, oh, just stop it. We don't do this. This is not, and people know I'm with you. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't know that this is true of this room, but I wonder if there's ever been a moment that you've looked at someone that was worshiping or that was making a choice in obedience to the Lord and you've thought, what is that? Or maybe you've thought, I know what kind of life they live. Who do they think they are? Or I know what choices they've made and they think they can worship like that. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? And we become all judgy inside as if we can look at the way a person worships or how they're worshiping and somehow determine their faithfulness to God or, or lack of. So she looks at him and judges. Verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent that David had prepared for it. 
and David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Like he's still doing it, right? Still partying all the way into town. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. I don't want us to miss this point. Literally, they were only having a party because the presence of God was with them. And that was enough. That was enough. It wasn't because God had blessed them with all of these things or had given them all of these things or, had, um, or they had gotten all of their requests. They literally were praising and worshiping and dancing simply because God was with them. And that was enough. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished, and this is in sarcasm, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. What does she mean? She means you took off your king's robes and you were wearing a tunic like a regular person like a common person. You're not common, you're king. A vulgar person would be a person who didn't understand how religion was supposed to work. So David was not acting civilized in Michael's mind and it was embarrassing to her. So what does he say to his wife? Verse 21, David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. Okay. I want to like step in and give marital advice, yet here he goes. God chose me above your daddy, all right? He appointed me as the, as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Even to be humiliated, even to embarrass myself. I am willing to look foolish more than anything you just witnessed. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. David didn't care about anybody else's approval. He didn't care if they felt embarrassed, if he felt embarrassed, if they were uncomfortable, if he was uncomfortable. What was totally foolish to everyone else was tethering to David. Can you see that? It was tethering to him. It's what connected him to God, the Father. It's what, re, it's what reminded him of who he was. It's what reminded him that God had promised him that he would be king and that God was with him. David was promised he would be king from a very young age, and yet 17 years would go by before he would ever become king. And in those 17 years, don't you think that's where he probably learned to worship? I mean, this is a man who had to cling to the promises of God and let them tether him in Scripture. When you read through the book of Psalms and you read David, and some have argued that David was even bipolar or manic depressive because he, would be, he writes like this. Life is wonderful. I want to die. Life is wonderful. I'm going to kill someone. Life is wonderful. I hate you, God. No, I love you. Wait, no, you know, this is David. He's so honest. He's so honest and he's so intimate with the Lord because he's willing to not care what anyone else thinks and just worship in honesty and intensity. 
when I was a little girl. I was three years old. And I think we all have, um, I think we could all probably go back to a time in our life. Some of us have to go back a really long time. But go way, way back to a time when you were everything you were meant to be because nobody had told you to be anything different. Nobody had told you not to do this or not to be this or you're bad at this or nobody had done anything like that to you and you were just young and you were able to be free. And when I was three years old, in our backyard, we had this swing set and it had a slide. And as a three-year-old, the slide seemed enormous to me. I mean, it seemed like just towers and towers above, even though it wasn't in reality, but to me, it seemed that way. And I, I would wait until I didn't really think anybody was paying attention, the neighbors or my family, and I would go outside, and I would have put my mother's 1980s bright makeup all over my face, and I would go out, and I would climb up on the top of the slide with a hairbrush, and I would sing at the top of my lungs like I was Beyonce. Like, I would get up there, and I had zero insecurity, zero shame. And I thought I sounded amazing. I had my little three-year-old voice, and the only songs I knew were like, Jesus loves me, right? Like, at the top of my lungs. So not too long after that, I was on the playground, and this, our backyard was a playground that happened to be shared with this daycare that was behind our house. So sometimes the kids from the daycare would be playing in the playground, and I would go out and play with the kids. From, and so on this particular day, um, I, I don't know if I, we hadn't done long. I don't know what happened, but I ended up, and again, y'all, it was, it was a long time ago. I mean, it's like 1978, okay? And I had on these green plaid pants. It's just what it was. And, but I loved them. And so I put on these green plaid pants and I went out onto the playground and I was like, look at me, y'all. I'm going to go up on that slide. I'm going to sing and all these little preschoolers are going to go, what? Right? So I'm, I'm getting ready to make my preschool debut in my green plaid pants. <laughs> and I go up on the slide and this little boy says to me, your pants are ugly. I know. And I remember it like stopped me in my tracks, right? Like, what? What? And I just ever so slowly backed up. And I found, and I went to, found that there's this really big tree. And I went and I just stood behind the tree and waited till all the kids went back inside into their daycare. And then I went in the house. And I never sang on top of the slide again. Until recently, but now, <laughs> you know, now I'll do it all day. Uh, but see, I think there's a reason in Scripture that Jesus says, "Come to me like little children." I think there's a reason that when David leapt and danced and we just like made himself um, an embarrassment to even the people around him, I think it brought God such pleasure because there was no shame, there was no insecurity, it wasn't about anything else. He was unhidden, right? Unhidden. I think it's what makes him a man after God's own heart. See, I think David worshiped like a boy so he could fight like a man. 
Y'all listen to me tonight. I think he worshiped like a boy so he could fight like a man. Some of us aren't willing to be the children that we are in front of God. And so then we go out into the world and we wonder why we suffer defeat all the time and we can't slay the giants. Worship tethers the heart of the warrior. The second thing that worship is after delight is that it is discipline. It is discipline. Throughout scripture, worship was a very intentional discipline. In fact, in this passage, how many times did they stop and worship every how many steps? Six steps. Intentionally, with discipline, every six steps. They built altars. They wrote music. They celebrated praise. They lamented. They mourned. It was intentional. Set aside times of worship. David worshiped both alone and he worshiped corporately. You know, here's why we say you need the church and the church needs you. Because... Like, we have no idea what will happen in the life of our country and history. And right now, we have freedom to worship together, don't we? We have the freedom to worship together, and there is power in it. And the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of the believers. And whenever people, you know, I don't want to go to church, or I don't want to be part of church, or I don't want to be a part of worship, I always want to go, you're going to hate heaven. (laughs) I mean, you're going to hate it, (laughs) like, for real. It's pretty much like, it's worship just forever. Like, Music forever. People worshiping, flying around forever, all the time. We should be a reflection of that. It's a discipline. It's something that you say, no matter what I feel like, no matter what I want to do, no matter what my schedule looks like, I am going to do this. It is going to be a discipline in my life. The Israelites would sing together as they would go into the temple. In Psalm 95, they would sing, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. (coughs) Now, let me be clear. There is no set of directions as to how to worship in the Bible. You can't go anywhere where it will say, once you reach the second verse, raise your hands, right? Or, you know, during this kind of slow song, close your eyes. If it's kind of an upbeat song, look up. Like there's just nothing, there's nowhere in the Bible that gives like this set prescription for how you should worship. But I think there is an understanding we should have, and it's this. I think worship does reflect the state of your relationship, Whenever you look at a relationship between two people, can't you kind of tell the state of it based on their body language, right? Like if Jeff and I are in a fight, right, or which happens. Okay, so we get in a fight or something, and because he, he's who he is, and he's all, you know, Jeff and happy all the time, right? And when I'm mad, I want to stay mad. You know, so even if we're in public, like he'll come up to me and put his arm around me, and if I'm mad, I'm like, what? You know? I mean, so if you're watching, you can tell our body language, right? You can tell people are fighting. You can tell when people are all in love. You can, you can tell when everything's going well. You can tell when people are friends. You can even probably look at somebody and kind of know if they're strangers or if they've just met. You can tell by their body language. See, I think when we're worshiping, worship reflects the state of our relationship. 
What does it look like when we're in the very presence of God and we look like we would rather be anywhere else? Can't the presence of God just be enough for us? Or is it that we need all of our circumstances and all of our life and all of our feelings and all of these things to be wrapped up with the bow so that then we can come in and really worship? Instead of coming into the presence of God and really participating in worship and going vertical first so that all the horizontal stuff in your life then begins to make sense. All of the horizontal stuff doesn't get all shaped up and then you go vertical in worship. It actually operates much the opposite. Worship is a spiritual discipline, a practice of investing into your relationship with the Lord. It should require something of you. Sacrifice, pouring out. It cannot be dependent upon the number of blessings you feel you are receiving. Because wouldn't that make worship about us? I'm going to worship you, God, only if I think you're good today. I'm going to worship you, Lord, if you... What if I said, Lord, I'm going to worship you if you heal my mother? Or I'll worship you, but I'll worship you more if you do that. Until then, I'm going to hold myself back. Worship is about sacrifice. It's about giving. The reason David is killing the fattened calf and doing all of these things, every six steps, is every six steps, he's giving up his wealth, giving up his wealth, giving up his wealth. Sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about my timeline. It's not about what time it is. It's not about how long it takes us. It's about every six steps stopping and saying, you are God and I am not. I just got back from vacation, a lovely vacation. And I always feel like it goes this way. When I come back, I always come back. And then the week I come back is the worst week ever. I had a hard week this week. Anybody else have a hard week this week? I don't know. You just have stuff, you know? It's a really hard week this week. And, um, you know, I just had a day where I was like, this, I just don't even understand uh, how days can go this badly. And I got into my car, and I felt this press that I should turn on worship music, right? I was like, no, I don't want to. Why? Because I'm having really great conversations in my head with the people I'm mad about right now. (laughs) I am working it all out. And I don't want to put worship music in. Then I have to think about Jesus. And I don't need that right now. I need to finish the conversation in my head. I need to finish being angry. I need to just, you know, vomit, verbally vomit it all out. I just need to call a friend so they can validate all of the sin that I want to commit by telling these people these things. I need to call this person so that they can go, you know what, you're right, and that person is a jerk, and you know, yes, how can you even do it? You should this and you should that. I know. That's what I wanted to do. But I felt this press, you know, to turn worship music on is this discipline. So I did. And then over the moments on my way home, I find my heart softening. I hear the psalm that talks about your promise still stands great as your faithfulness. I hear the words that God loves me. 
I hear the words, you know, do it again. I hear the words grace upon grace, these songs that just soften me and remind me my life is not about me. My life is about him. See, worship as a discipline, even when you don't want to, even when you don't feel like it, tethers your heart to the Father. Worship tethers the heart of a warrior. It is a discipline. It's delight, it's discipline, and the third thing it is, is dependence. Dependence. Hassani talked about David and Bathsheba. I want to talk about what happened after David and Bathsheba. And you know, so Bathsheba got pregnant, but then the, the baby died. It was part of the consequences and part of what happened as a result of the sin. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 19, it says, When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. So David learns his baby is dead. He has been begging God to not let this happen. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and did what? What did he do? What? And he did this after his child was killed. He did this when he was suffering a kind of pain I can't even fathom. He did this after he'd been praying and praying and asking God, and he's a man after God's own heart. And he was, this was when, this is the God that had helped him kill Goliath with the stones. And this is the God that had helped him defeat armies. And this is the God that had helped him through all of these miracles. And so David's saying, can you not do this one more miracle? I'm sorry for what I did. I've repented for what I did, God. Can't you save my child? And what was God's answer? No. And David went, I will worship you still. God said, no, no, I will not. And David got himself up, received the answer, and went and worshiped. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. Why is that so important? He was served food and ate because he got up, he worshiped, and then he went on. He went on. Some could read that and go, didn't he care? Didn't he care about what had happened? How could he worship the God who had allowed this? Because worship tethers the heart of the warrior. David was a warrior, and he learned to worship from a very young age, in the caves, on the field, with the sheep, in battle. He had learned to worship. Worship reminds us who we depend on. He is tethered to supernatural strength. And David could worship God and then go on because he was receiving supernatural strength in his grief. It's dependence. Worship is dependence. Worship is singing words, and you might not even think you can mean the very words you're singing. You might be looking at those words going, I don't even know if I believe those today. I don't even know if those are true anymore. But dependence is saying, I'm going to sing them anyway. I'm going to speak the truth before I feel the truth, trusting I'll feel it if I speak it. It's dependence. It's trust. See, when your ability to worship is determined by your circumstances, you just wallow in grief or ungratefulness, and that is when you wander away, isn't it? 
when we're unhappy with God, when it doesn't go our way and we say, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. You didn't save the relationship or you didn't, you know, give me the money or you didn't fix my family or you didn't do these things in my life. And we get angry about it and we drift and we wander because we haven't allowed worship to tether us or so we just cut the cord and we wander away. Instead of the discipline of worshiping so that the dependence remains, you're dependent upon the thing that keeps you steady. When you don't feel like worshiping, that's exactly when you should. When you don't want to the most is the time you need to the most. Why? Because you go vertical. And it becomes not about you. Finally, worship is about direction. Direction. Worship reminds you of who God is and who you are. You guys have heard this from me, and I think Dave talked to you about this too. God the Father, God the what? Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three, the Trinity is what we, what we refer to as. You are also three in one, one in three. You are a soul, you are a body, you are a mind. Worship keeps you moving the right direction because worship is all of you facing all of God. It is you going vertical, all of yourself, your mind, body, and soul, looking at the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in worship. It keeps you moving and facing the right direction. It keeps you from wandering away. You can't remove any of the mind, body, or soul from worship because to remove the components removes the fullness of the image you bear. So worship is all of you facing all of God. So while I will say to you there's no prescription in Scripture for how you should physically and demonstratively worship, what I will say to you is that your mind, body, and soul, your entire being should be inside of worship. I will say to you that if you're responding in your soul and your mind to the Lord, you should ask yourself, how am I also physically responding? People always go, you know, I'm not very demonstrative. I'm just not a very physical person. Yes, you are. Everybody is. Everybody is. You know how we know this? If we were not physically driven people, nobody would ever want to have sex. Right? Am I, right? You're like, oh, right. So maybe, yes. We're all physically driven people. If we weren't, sports games would be silent. People would just, I mean, they would just be silent. People would just sit there. If we weren't physically demonstrative people. We are demonstrative people. We move toward physically the things that matter to us, the things that get us excited, the things that we want to be a part of, the things that we love, the things that we cheer for. We move towards it. 
I wonder in worship why we don't move towards God in that moment. My little kids, when Judah's Jude, getting older, he's going to be a third grader. But man, and so he's starting to get too big. Well, he is for me to like scoop him up without, you know, becoming injured. But man, when he's little, like that little two-year-old toddler, he would run up to me and he would throw his arms up to me and I would scoop him up. Nothing like it in the world. And I always think when I've got my arms up to the Father, or, you know, or sometimes I'm kneeling down and I'm just wanting to put my head on the lap of Jesus, I, it's the same thing with my, as, as I think with my children. I think God finds great delight in that. And just the physical demonstration towards it. Let me ask you a question. It's not rhetorical. You can tell me what you think. What do you imagine heaven to be like? What are things you imagine? Hmm? Clouds. Streets of gold. Hmm? Memories. What else? What do you imagine? Angels. Worship. Freedom. Peace. Yes, all of these things. What? What else do you imagine? Have you ever imagined heaven? Try. Joy. Anyone imagine seeing people that you've lost? Maybe um, I like to imagine there being no sin and no suffering. I like to imagine there being a lot of worship. I like to imagine I get to actually see Jesus. I want to talk to some people in the Bible and find out the real story about some things. You know what I'm saying? Peter, did you really cut the ear off? Like that kind of stuff. You know, um, here's what I know about heaven because you can actually read this in the scripture it tells you. It tells us that we won't care about getting our questions answered. We won't care when anybody thinks about us. We will not even care about what God could give to us. When we get to heaven, we will literally fall on our face in front of God Almighty. We will see the hands of Jesus that scripture tells us still bear the scars. The Holy Spirit will be in the room and compel our worship in a way where we lose all sense of ourselves. And the prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples to pray was this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if that is what heaven is and Jesus says, let heaven come to earth, why does this not reflect heaven? That is what the church should be, a reflection of heaven itself. Because Jesus said, he said, pray for it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that those things exist inside of heaven. Our worship should be a funnel of bringing heaven to earth. Here should reflect there. When people walk into this place, they should not wonder how we feel about the God we are here to worship. Am I right? They should come in and go, oh, well, I know how these people, I mean, I know how they feel. (laughs) 
before every C12 service, the volunteers are in this room and we walk through the room and we pray. And this doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes, as we're doing that, if I'm the one speaking, sometimes God will say something to me and I'll write it down. And it wasn't in my notes, but it was just a unique word that I felt like was for this evening. So that happened today and we're walking around and praying and I just distinctly heard the Lord say a couple things to me. Because see, we're going to move into a time of worship. In fact, I'm going to have the band come back up because we're going to respond in worship because that's appropriate. Here are the things I feel like God impressed upon me to say to you as we do this. Maybe some of the reason many of you can't fully enter into worship is because you haven't fully entered into repentance. What do I mean by that? I don't say it in a judging way. I really don't because I myself, as we were walking around praying, I was confessing some things to the Lord that I just was holding in my heart and I needed to get it out. And I feel like the Lord wanted me to give you an opportunity to, before we move into worship, if you want to be able to move into worship fully, right? All of you moving toward all of God, that maybe there's something in one of those portions of your life that you need to confess to the Lord and repent of. It's a thought pattern. It's an action, a choice that you made or a, a feeling you just can't seem to get rid of, or, or some, there's something. And you need to get it out, and you need to make it right with the Lord, because until you do that, you can't fully, authentically come before him. So I'm going to lead you in a moment of that in just a second. But the second thing I felt pressed to offer to you is that I wonder if there's some of you in the room that you worship, and for those looking on, you're worshiping very demonstratively and very, very physically. But I wonder if you're doing that because for the first time all week, you've been able to feel something. You live a life that's a lot of numbing of pain a lot of sin and there's just a lot of not feeling and a lot of even sadness and numbness and you come into worship and it just allows you to feel. And then some of you come in during worship and you worship so that you stop feeling. So that you just stop thinking about all of those things. I don't think either one of those is necessarily wrong. I don't think that worshiping to feel or not feel is necessarily wrong. What I do think you have to do is acknowledge to the Lord where you're at. Acknowledge where you're at and confess it to him and make it right. And then let your response of praise be one of freedom. Would you bow your heads with me?
you know, I don't really know that I, I actually didn't intend for this message to even feel as heavy, I think, as it has felt. But I wonder if that's because before we move into worship, there's some confession and repentance that needs to take place. So I'm going to be quiet here for a couple minutes, and I'm going to let you have a conversation with the Lord and ask you to invite him to reveal to you any place in your life that you might need to clear up with him and make right. Can we just thank him for his forgiveness with your heads bowed? Just go ahead and out loud, just say thank you, Jesus. Let's just thank him. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his presence here tonight. He is here tonight as much as he was on that day with David. On that day with David, God's presence was inside of in, in a box. Right now, God's presence, his Holy Spirit is inside of you. For those of you who are believers, his presence is in you. It's not beside you, around you. It is in you. That same presence that compelled them to stop every six steps and to dance and for David to leap and for him to be willing to embarrass himself, that very same presence of God is in you. Heavenly Father, I pray as we come before you and we offer you our worship, Lord, would you just inhabit the praises of your people? So deeply inhabit the praises of your people, Lord. And let us, let us be a worshiping people. Not because it's the church thing to do or, or we think it's the right thing to do or because other people are doing it, but because you, the God of the universe, sent your son to this place to save us from our sin, to redeem us from death and save us from what we could not save ourselves from. And that is, is enough. Let this be a generation and a group that rises up and every six steps gives praise to you. All for your glory. Amen. Would you stand? Okay. So I know we're going to do the one song. Can we do the hallelujah song too? Okay. Um, so we're going to do a couple of songs. Let's go. Yeah.
okay? Um, now I know, you know, some of you that you got to be out of here by nine or whatever, you can feel free to do that. Um, but I would just encourage you to stay. I mean, come on. And uh, we're going to do a couple of songs before we close out. And um, God loves you so much, men and women. He just loves you so much. And as much as you can, forget about the person beside you or in front of you or what you have to do afterward or what you've got tomorrow. And just let the presence of God here with us tonight just be enough. Let's sing. All things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we
five more. I know. Do you want to do another one? Yeah. What you got, Rainwater? What y'all want? Oh my goodness. What y'all want to sing? Glorious day. Can I just tell? Can I just tell you all though? Like, could you hear each other? You couldn't hear each other singing. Oh my goodness. It was beautiful. Like you're so collectively loud. I just felt like the Lord, it was like listening and had, I mean, I'm telling you, it was extraordinary y'all. Like it was just extraordinary. Um, okay. I feel like I always say, we've done this before, right? Where we do it again. And I tell you, it's okay if you need to go, but, but you can stay kinds of things. And it is okay if you need to go, but let us, let's do one more. They're figuring it out. Let's just be surprised. Did you want, you want me to sing with you? Yeah. No. That's not what. Again, Jesus loves me? No. So we don't got lyrics. It doesn't matter. Just lift your voice to him. The Holy Spirit's with us. He's still ministering. He's, he's still here speaking to us. So let's sing to him. Let's welcome him to keep doing what only he can do as we sing. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be
sit with them. You want to keep singing? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let's just take it back. Keep it simple here. Just every voice we sing that we live to worship Him. To worship Him, I live. To just sing. To worship Him, I live. To Who are you? 
Just one more of you Need more of you Let us become moment. You can go home and still seek after him. So do that. Even as you leave, just go continue to seek more of him. We get to experience heaven on earth in his presence. Amen. So just remember this night. Remember what God has done in your heart and let him just go with you. How he's ministered to you. He's right. You all know that. 
like God's presence doesn't just stay here and you leave and it stays here, it goes with you. Um, a couple of things, and then I'm gonna dismiss you and they're gonna play the Jesus Loves You song and I'm gonna stay and worship to it. And you can too, if you'd like to, but um, a couple of things. If you are visiting with us today, we would love to know you, we would love to meet you. And so there will be volunteers up here at the front um, at the end, and we would just love to connect with you and, um, and see what's going on. So be sure to come forward. Also, for those of you that aren't new, and maybe you would just like prayer, or maybe you just know that before you leave tonight, you just need to have a person, a human being, put their arms around you and lift you up before the Lord. There are volunteers up here that would love to pray for you. And so you can make your way up here and we can do that as well. Also, I am just asking you, if you can at all, if you can reconfigure your schedule, if you can do whatever you have to do to be here at 11 o'clock on Sunday. Y'all, like what we just experienced, can y'all sense that that's a very sacred and holy thing? And for you to be able to take that into the life of the church would be a beautiful thing. So if you can be here Sunday at 11, um, we would love you. And I could up the ante, I could just, you know, we could buy lunch for everybody that's here at 11, okay? We'll buy your lunch. We'll take you, we'll like find a restaurant and we'll just buy the tab and you go in and fill up all the seats of the restaurant and we'll pay for lunch if you show up, yes? Okay, now who's coming at 11? Anybody coming? Okay. <laughs> right? So Alex and Sierra, we'll figure that out later, but we're going to do that. All right? So we'll provide your lunch. Um, 11 o'clock on Sunday. Okay, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to offer a, a kind of benediction, if you will, to close our time together. Again, they're going to play a song because I love it and because that's what we're gonna do. Um, but I'm gonna give you a benediction because I love, I love closing a time together this way because it's just a passage from scripture that, we, that I, we just say, and it's just meant to be a blessing to you for you to re- hear it and receive it as we move from this space to out there. So um, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be so gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Because it's his peace that passes what? All understanding. And it's his peace that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And God's people together said, amen. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week. We'll see.